you guys need to decide when you're ready to take on the challenge because I think you might need a bit more than four weeks as Ashley mentioned there but let's get it done beforehand I love your confidence but you haven't got a hope OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app Gaelic football on Off the Ball with AIB proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship check out hashtag the toughest for more you're very welcome back as you know at this stage I'm sure Mead are Talchin Cup winners 2023 they beat down on Saturday 213 to 14 points a brilliant second half display their manager is with us he may or may not speak Latin we can only hope Colm O'Rourke congratulations <laughs> thank you very much Joe <laughs> thank you. you you've done more for Latin than anyone in this country the last 50 years pardon you've done more for Latin in this country yeah. than any man the last 50 years <laughs> Yeah, well, it was funny since uh, since Saturday afternoon. I have uh, anybody who sends me a text or a message now seems to feel that they have to put a bit of Latin into it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to have done something for the ancient language. But it was a when I was in school and principal, it was a subject that uh, we held on to in school, whereas it had died out in most places. So. There was only a few hundred people doing Latin at leave inserts and I, at leave insert level, and I was always proud that one of that one of those schools was ours. Right. Okay. Very good. You get plenty of uh, bad days in sport. This was one of the very good days. You really looked, and the players looked like you enjoyed the aftermath, the afterglow. It was um, a lot of happy faces, very satisfied air. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't we? I suppose we haven't won anything for a long time haven't won a national title for 20-something years. So and the lads themselves have put a lot of work into it. They, and very few of them were even born when we won the last All-Ireland. They're a very young team. So uh, they were. They, it was obviously very satisfying for everybody involved. You spoke glowingly about the players afterwards. You said their commitment pretty much surpasses anything you've seen in your time involved with GA. Yeah, well, uh, obviously I came from a very dedicated team, but these lads are just as dedicated as we were. And uh, their training for the last six or eight months has just been top class. And for a young group who've come together and we have chopped and changed a good bit as the year went on, uh, I, I was just absolutely thrilled with the way that they applied themselves. Yeah, it has been an eventful year in that respect. I was reading you've used maybe 30 players across the season and four of the starters against Down uh, started um, uh, the first league game. So that would suggest you've had a lot going on and, and, and chopping and changing and trying to find the right formula. Yeah, well, I suppose during the league we used a number of players and then we were reassessed after the league and, and brought in quite a few players. We brought in six off the under-20 panel and uh, there was four from a development squad that we were running alongside the senior team. So 10 came in, so it was 10 had to go out. And uh, I think we have 13 players who played championship for me for the first time. And uh, like on Saturday, the goalie and three of the backs were playing in their first campaign. Conor Great midfield was in his first campaign and a couple of forwards. So it was a very inexperienced side. Mm. Uh, there was a period where towards the end of the league, and then if you include the Offaly game, where you were six games without a win. Uh, I I yeah. presume that was feeling a bit 
sticky uh, for you personally and for for everybody. Uh, compare, you know, th- that that version of me, the way you were then, and and this version that we're now seeing in late July, because the improvements, I'm I'm sure, are are, are fairly sizable. Yeah, and you can see the improvements coming in training all the time. I suppose you cannot introduce that many new players uh, to a team without taking a bit of pain in the short term. And uh, I suppose from a management point of view, which includes Barry Callaghan, Stephen Bray and Paul Garrigan, one of the greatest sources of satisfaction for us is that uh, the win on Saturday and the performance justified our faith in a new group of players. Yes. Mm. Um, I'm curious for your perspective on something and uh, I'll put it in blunt terms and you can choose not to take offence if that's okay. So, and there was almost a bit of schadenfreude about it whereby early part of the league um, there was like a sense of, well, look at this now. O'Rourke sitting on a TV couch had it easy. He preached attacking football, kicking football and then in the league the likes of Derry and Dublin Exposed that as as naive and of a bygone era, and and now he's seen what it's really like at the cold face. Um, is was there any truth in that? In the sense that you were too open, it was a a, a different naive style of football versus what you did at the weekend, or more the grown pains, or what? What's your perspective on how you first approached yeah. the year with, with where well, we are now? Well, it is true we were very open at the back. But the system that we tried to impose defensively in the league when we were ripped apart by Derry and Dublin is exactly the same one as we had in Crow Park last Sunday. It just took time. It took perseverance. It took confidence from the players that it was going to work if we kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And you just can't throw a whole heap of new players into a team but as I say, taking the pain. So like, you know, when people commented from the outside and naive you know, everybody uses that word now. But like, uh, you work hard on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and maybe go into a game on Sunday and you're ripped apart and you go back at it and do the same over and over and over again. But we could see incremental gains uh, taking place from game to game. And of course, sometimes new players came in and added to it. So every game, we thought we were making progress. We uh, um, when we played down in Parnell Park, it was our best defensive display of the year. We limited them to one goal and nine points. And we could see from that that we were beginning to make progress. So like the criticisms that people had in the beginning of the year, as if I was some dinosaur from the 80s who were going to go out and play sort of man-to-man football. Like, you know, I'm involved in club management on a continuous period over that time. We won championships with Simonstown playing sweepers. It's not as if mm. uh, we have, you know, the, the system was new or anything. It just, just t- took time to bed in and we were getting better as time went on and we've continued to get better. And now that then the fellas themselves have great confidence in it and I think we get even better. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. Same defensive system then versus now. I, Again, without seeing all your games or every minute of them or anything close to it, I was wondering if you were going to tell me, well, like we had a road to Damascus moment after the Offaly defeat and suddenly went more defensive. So it's 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 a more um, steady as it goes as opposed to a revolution. Yeah, well, the reality for most teams is that they try and play uh, with a fairly defensive structure where they're getting up to 12 players back and we were trying to leave three upfield. And 
it's no different really from any other team. It's just the best teams with the best players limit the opposition to less scores. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And, uh, we hope that we are getting better and better players and that they will cope with the better forward lines next year, much more so than we did this year. But it will not be a change of system. It's just getting used to it and practising and perfecting it as best we can. What pleased you most about the performance on Saturday? Maybe that, maybe that defensive structure yeah. that we're talking about, like down scored eight goals against Leash. We worked hard on defence in the three weeks. We weren't happy with our defence against Antrim. We spent hours and hours pouring through videos, working on the field. It was uh, a, a, a pretty forensic look at defencing, defending over the, the few weeks and all the different sessions. But you could see progress was made. Like you can put fellas on the board and say, you should be here and you should be here. And the next thing, the opposition come and just sweeps it all away. But you could see that we, we had worked on it fairly hard and that the lads themselves were beginning to get comfortable with it. So in some respects, I suppose, to hold down to 13 points, even though they had a couple of good goal chances, they kicked some bad wides too. But uh, we figured that we had to get to close to 20 to win. Mm. And as it turned out, we did get close to that. Mm. 2-13. Yeah. Some of the point taking in the second half was brilliant. Um, do, do players of carte blanche if you think it's on even if it's a bit of a Hail Mary you go for it yeah well we encourage fellas to play and to have confidence in their own ability we encourage them to to take responsibility you know I see football as an expression of human nature where people should be encouraged to go and express themselves as much as possible within the team system and you know, to that football is a part of their lives just the same as they must look after their jobs and their families and their education and that football is only one small part of it and it has to be a form of self-expression away from the pressures of living. So, like, to me, there'd be not much point in going out and having a joyless experience playing football. That's supposed to be the entertainment part of life. And I was glad to see fellas shook off the shackles a little bit in the second half and again we just encouraged them to go and play but our strike rate the first half was dreadfully poor I think we had a conversion rate of about 35% in the second half it went up to 80% wow. yeah that's some going because I, I understand the temptation for any manager to dig deep into the stats and to say well beyond that distance and that close to a touchline on either side, you're unlikely to score. Nobody's shooting outside of these areas and that's just that. I, I, I understand that sense. I feel like mm. Dublin kind of were veering close to that a couple of years ago, maybe. Yeah, I'd say so. But like, uh, most of the shots the lads took on were, were on. Uh, True. Now, Jack O'Connor uh, had <laughs> one incredible point from the right-hand side and I think as he was soling up the right wing I was shouting into myself Jack don't do it don't do it <laughs> he launches this ball and it goes over the bar and it was really an inspirational score yeah but you, I mean I, I, there's probably an argument as well if you want to win something it can't be about containment and you need some inspirational moments and inspirational scores you have to go for it 
Yeah, and players have a lot of individual flair and there's no point in trying to coach that out of them. I would feel that uh, we should encourage that part of it. But most of them are disciplined and work well within a, a team structure as well. I presume as manager, if you want, you now have avail- a, a whole array of statistics available to you. Uh, do you value them? Do you put much stock in them? If so, which ones? Uh, the GPS systems and the trackers and a lot of this, you're, you're, you have access to hundreds of pieces of information, really. And um, you can paralyze a team by feeding them too much information in that regard. So like, uh, there's a few important statistics, obviously conversion rates uh, on scores and parts of the field conversion. The high speed running, I think, and total distance covered are two valuable parts of information that you get. And uh, I'd say we only use to the players about two or three pieces of information. We've tried to distill it down to the very, very important things because uh, I, I think at times if you give players too much uh, statistical information, they often are, are looking at it in terms of their own performance. And I think it may limit their performance if they're thinking they, you know, things like, you know, I don't want to give away the ball because my stats would look bad. So I'll, I'll take on a safe pass instead of maybe trying something a bit different. So. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to be very careful in the sort of statistical information that you give to players. And do you find them useful? You may not share everything with the players, but I guess you have a look at most things. Does it does it tend to routinely, if ever, change your sense of a game that you might have seen in real time when you see stats two days later? Yeah, it does. Yeah, but like, you know, the other side of it is you have to make decisions on the run in the game and say taking off players, putting on players and God give us two eyes to see. And if a manager down a a pitch level can't have a fair idea of what's happening and make the right decisions, well, he shouldn't be in charge of the team. Mm. Uh, What has struck you then about the realities of inter-county management, the demands or the logistics or the realities, if anything? I mean, I'm sure you knew it was going to be full on. I knew it was going to be full on. Like, I've been running club teams in Simonstown and helping out at other teams and running the school teams. So, like, the biggest single thing, I suppose, is the time element away from the training. The nice part is training and it's great fun being there with the lads and training is always enjoyable because they are so committed. But uh, the background work on the, the statistical information and the video work and looking at oppositions, you know, you could look at three or four games that uh, a team played in because you have access to all of that. Mm. And you could look at, at that sort of thing. So you could have hours and hours pouring over videos of uh, opposition games and seeing weaknesses or whatever and trying to, to work accordingly. So I suppose there is a massive time aspect. And you also uh, are a manager of a very big team behind the scenes, you know, which can take up to 20 people. So there's a lot of work in it uh, because I think most uh, inter-county groups now would probably, between players and backroom staff, would be between 50 and 60 in number. Wow. Okay. So you're on that phone a lot, I would take it. You're on the phone, yeah. You're on the phone and you're 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 watching stuff. 
And I suppose the other biggest thing about it is it's very hard to get away from thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, people say, well, you you can put in X number of hours, but you're always sort of uh, 24-7 thinking about it and thinking about it. And like that's, I think, Joe, the other side of it is this was, and I, I'm not saying only the Talchin Cup, but like this was a secondary competition. Like it's still a long way up to the top level and what other teams at the very top, like Dublin and Kerry might be doing. Yes, we had David Herity on the other week who's, who was the Kildare Hurling manager is just... Uh, stepped down in the last few weeks and he was saying that um, I'm not surprised it, it, it turns out he stepped down but he was saying even when he's playing hide and seek with his kids he makes damn sure to find a good hiding place so he has time to think about hurling and <laughs> you know, yeah, well, that's the reality I mean he, that, it's, it's all he thinks about you know yeah well it, it also would only increase my respect for what Jim Gavin did in charge of Dublin while he was holding down a very, very busy and responsible job and still finding the time to, to run the most successful team in the history of the game. And yeah. That achievement was just I- incredible. Like, I can see why uh, a lot of us who are in charge of teams have to have a certain type of job or, uh, like myself and Jack O'Connor, being retired. Mm. Yeah, I can only imagine. Do you miss the school? Yeah, I loved school. I loved everything about it, and I, I do miss. I think uh, I like young people and being involved in 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 a school. It's a sort of a vibrant experience. Every day is full on, but uh, the fun, the banter, the news. You have a hundred people to talk to by nine o'clock every morning, so you miss that the uh, social connection because okay, you have the training, but. Uh, uh, the involvement with the staff in the school and I, the involvement with young people I always found uh, refreshing and it made life very interesting. Yes, I, I guess it's one of these kind of cliched questions, but I, I dare see say you see uh, the difference in the challenges a lot of them are facing this decade versus 20, 30, 40 years ago. Absolutely. And I suppose, you know, again, everybody says the same thing as the phone and the phone is their access to the outer world, to a huge well of knowledge and good things. And at the same time, it's a completely dangerous weapon. And I suppose as principal of a school, a lot of problems that I dealt with uh, over the last 10, 15 years had to do with phones and different aspects of phones and misuse of phones and the ills that they bring. Mm. Would, is there a, a change in the average demeanour of an average student in Ireland 2015 versus Ireland 1995? Oh, absolutely. But I would still find them that they're really friendly, respectful, uh, dedicated, committed to the cause if you if you get them going the right way. The innocence maybe that we had uh, 20 years ago is probably gone to a certain extent but you know there's young people we have the best of young people and uh, I I think young people have got better in a lot of ways Oh really? Like like how so? Well I think that I think they are very committed and I think that when you look at uh, the hostility that was there sometimes with young people years ago and 
I see it. They don't. There's there's very little violence towards each other uh, in schools now that I see now. Maybe I'm uh, deluded in that regard compared to some other places, but certainly that aspect of life has improved dramatically. Respect for others, respect for different cultures, nationality, sexual orientation, that has all improved dramatically over the last number of years, all for the better. Yes. Um, I, I, it's funny, I, I watched your interview with Tommy Tiernan. There's no real question coming here, but I just thought it was such an interesting point that you made where you and Tommy were, I don't know, reminiscing about certain kind of characters that I would remember from my youth as well in, you know, up and down Irish towns, like clearly very smart people, wisecracks, mischief at all times, one liners. And you made a really interesting observation that um, we're now at a point where everybody in the main is being educated. It wasn't always the case in Ireland. And so I don't know if we're a bit more homogenised or a bit more straight laced, but that kind of Irish character that most people would know from towns down the years is is not as uh, prevalent as maybe decades previously. No, they were the self-educated people. I grew up with a lot of them. I grew up in a farming community and there was an awful lot of single men who lived in cottages and who were farm labourers or industrial workers and things like that. And they had a particular take on life and funny comments and witticisms which would go totally over the head of most young people now. So they're a huge loss. They were the characters of the area. And as I say, I said at that time, I think education has, has, has made a lot of people dull and boring. And we all sort of think and do the same things. And uh, if it doesn't come off the phone, uh, a lot of young people now, they're not very good. One of the things that are not good on is education by observation Mm. and observing people and listening to people that's certainly gone downhill and the character the character with the funny comments they're they're a dying breed because everybody wants to go to third level now and uh, a lot of people would be better off not going to it and going out and working and getting their education as part of work rather than education in itself followed by work yeah. What would you change about the education system, secretary school, if you could, you know, be dictator for a day? <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, Joe, how long have you got? <laughs> well, I think I, I think that the biggest change would be uh, that uh, obviously exam results and we were an academic school, but I often thought like that the exam results and the pursuit of excellence in that regard meant that a lot of people went to third level who were better off if they didn't go. But uh, third level has sort of become a bit of a snob value in some regards. And uh, apprenticeships have lost ground. And instead of that, it should probably be the other way around. So I would encourage more people to be taking on apprenticeships in an awful lot of areas. Like a, a lot of countries in Europe, a big percentage of their population don't go straight into university or third level. They work and they they, they do their schooling as part of the uh, third level as part of apprenticeship. I think that's the biggest need. But that is changing and there is a mm. huge number of new apprenticeships coming on stream in a lot of areas. Couldn't come half quick enough from my point of view. Anyway, and one of the biggest problems I see is the amount of people unsuited to third level who go for a year and then 
failed their exams and are thrown out and then they don't know what to do. Yeah. And is, is the leave insert pressure on kids worse than ever? I don't think it is. I think uh, pressure on, on pressure on people to perform is there. Pressure on people to perform in sport, in life and everything else. And uh, uh, I believe pressure brings out the best in people. And uh, you can't you can't insulate young people from pressure. I know everybody is talking about the pressures of this and the pressures of that. Like we all face pressures in our life, pressure to work, pressure to look after a family and pressure to buy a house. All of those things, you know, you can't sort of do do things for people that they don't feel pressure. Otherwise, you wouldn't have high performers. Yes, that's very fair. Um, Sean Boylan. I mean, it'd be, it'd be a f- <laughs> funny thing to show you to a picture of uh, Saturday. You know, if you could travel back in time to, I don't know, 20 years ago and say, here's a picture from 2023. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure you'd both have a few questions. So um, your decision to get him back involved. Talk to us about that. Well, you know, one of the problems of Ireland as well and problems of modern management is ageism, which you don't have in a lot of other sports. But like in the first thing that's thrown at you in Gaelic football, if you're anyway old, is that you're a dinosaur and you you adhere to a different type of game and things have changed and you can't understand the modern game. You know, people with intelligence adapt to all circumstances. But uh, anyway, um, I said to Sean at the start, would he like to come in on the journey? And he said he'd love to be part of it. And comes to training every night, he talks to the lads and... He has that same level of enthusiasm and boyish good humour with people that he always had. And he's an inspirational type of figure. I said to him at the start, if you want to do the team talk before the match at halftime, when it's over, you walk away. I don't care. I'll stand aside. Hmm. And he has been great with the lads. Chats away to them on an individual basis. Has his few words at different times in group settings. But always, of course, a positive influence. And he's loved by young people. We had a a homecoming in Navin last night, or not a homecoming, but a night for the the young supporters. And it's amazing that a man who's nearly 80 years of age was mobbed by young people for the whole night, Mm. more so than any player or anybody else. And it just, I suppose, demonstrates his status in me. He's the sort of father figure of football and uh, He's such an entirely positive influence for good uh, with young people that uh, I thought it would be very foolish to have a resource like that available and not use them. Yeah. I've met him a handful of times and very briefly, but um, God, yeah, I I think the whole country has that sense that if they could ever corner Sean and just, you know, tell them what was on their mind and and get some advice, he'd be that kind of a... A person. Would you two have had um, been in contact much over the the years? You know, is that a, a relationship which is uh, a regular one, or was this a phone call out of the blue? Oh no, we'd have a close contact, close contact. Most of the players of my era, a lot of those players would have had close contact with Sean for all the years since that. You know, right. we we'd regard them as a a friend, not just as the manager. And sometimes that relationship is difficult with people who have been the managers of teams that. When they go away from a team, the players then say, well, he was this, that and the other and may not maintain close relationships. But we all are a big portion of us have maintained very close relationships with him. And he's that type of man, like a half hour in the company of Sean Boylan. 
and, and and maybe this is one of the reasons why he's so successful as a herbalist and uh, I, I often think it's the 15, 20 minutes or half hour that he spends with people. He just makes them feel good about themselves. And how does he do that? Well, he just has a way of talking to people and he's a sunny disposition and he he always sees the best in people and uh, he, he gives good advice. And he's just that, just a, a, a unique type of character. And I think he's had a a very positive influence on any of the people who he had under his charge when they go into management, because uh, I think we'd all prefer the carrot rather than the stick because we've learned that from him. Yeah, that's quite interesting, isn't it? That your your mead team that you played on, like a really tough, hardy team, and it was more carrot than stick. Because I could lo- I'd look at the outside and say it's stick with that team. Everything's <laughs> tough with that team. Yeah, no, he wasn't like that at all. And of course, people would always say to you, ah, Jesus, there must be more to boil. And he, he can't be going around friendly and pally with everybody. He must have said some awful things to you inside the dressing room or whatever. But really, he didn't. That The the, the public demeanour and the, the personal are very similar. Mm. Uh, OK, he had the occasional word with people but I can never remember him really growling at anyone or whatever and uh, certainly it would be my philosophy for management as well that most of the time you get much more out of people through encouragement rather than hammering them. Yes so uh, regardless of Saturday which was a very enjoyable day it, it seems like you've really enjoyed this year. Absolutely and but uh, the, the reality of it is that we were a second division team. We were playing a third division team. We were the highest ranked team in the Calcium Cup. We were entitled to win it. Mm. Now, it was nice to win it the way we did with a fairly new team, even from the start of the year. But uh, it would have been disappointing if a, a team who shouldn't be in it, really, because yeah. it wasn't for second division teams, uh, it, it we were entitled to to be in the final on the basis of league form, entitled to win it too. And uh, we have to take that into account. And also the realisation that the next step up to competing with the top counties, maybe eight or ten points of a jump, which Mm. we have to try and achieve for next year. What's the biggest, like, as you see it, in in what areas is there the biggest gap with the Dublin or with a Kerry or even like a Derry? I mean, is it, it, it fitness? Is it, is it conversion rates? Is it just decision making? Like when you look, when you look and try and break down, where are we short here? What areas are they ahead of the packing? Well, Dublin have had six or seven of the best players I ever saw. That's, That's the a help. Thing. So if, you, <laughs> if you can get quality of players and obviously if we could get a David Clifford, too, that would help. But uh, I don't think there's much difference in fitness levels. We we right. monitor our fitness levels. You know, there's scientific measurements of all of these things now. So yeah. I would say that there's probably not that much difference in the time spent training, the physical conditioning. Uh, quality of players is obviously one thing. And to, to have a big panel of quality players. Again, Dublin showed that on Saturday. And that was probably the difference between them and Monaghan. Mm. They had the the 5th Cavalry to arrive in the last quarter of the match. And uh, the team that finishes the game is generally the more important team rather than the one that finishes. But uh, I would say that we, we again, we we are 
innocence abroad at the top level and we have to start learning better and quicker and adapt to to the better teams because we'll be playing them in the league next year again a, a final one um, just seen as you mentioned Clifford what are we seeing here in this guy people are using the phrase well could well be the greatest of all time you've you've seen your fair share well I've seen 50 years of football certainly uh First All-Ireland I was at was in 1967 when Mead won it and uh, I think I have been at most of them and fairly close observer of football from the 70s on anyway when I started playing myself. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have seen any better than him and he's the best forward I think I have seen in that whole era. So he, he but I, I think we're in a golden era insofar as uh, five or six of the Dublin players that we saw over the last... 10 or 12 years are the best players I have seen that in that 50 years. I'd say like uh, James McCarthy, uh, maybe if you look at te- 12 years of football, he's probably the best footballer of that 12 years. Clifford is the best forward probably of the 50 years. Mm. And do you have a strong sense of Kerry or Dublin? No, I don't have a strong sense, but uh, I... Uh, the Dubs seem to be on a mission and uh, uh, if they're able to hold the same Clifford to five or six points uh, it's difficult to see Dublin doing anything but winning because uh, uh, Kerry haven't impressed me that much now and they have a huge reliance on one player which is a dangerous thing going into an All-Ireland final He, he hasn't let them down at club or county level uh, for a long, long time, but like he can't keep dragging them over the line. Like you know, there needs to be a few other willing horses to carry the load. Yeah, well, look, it should be uh, a really good game, if nothing else. Congratulations again. Thank you uh, so much for the time. It's very much appreciated. We got no Latin in, but we did our best. Small steps. Small yes. steps. Uh, well <laughs> done. Congratulations, though, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, Colin Rock. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Bye bye. That is the Mead manager, Colin O'Rourke, with us. And Gaelic Football and Off the Ball is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Senior Football Championship. You can check out hashtag the toughest for more. Gaelic Football on Off the Ball with AIB, proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship. Check out hashtag the toughest for more.